We continue our series on the letter of James, and we'll read James chapter 1 and carry then into our text, which starts at verse 19 through verse 25. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits." Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And here begins the text. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does." So far. And in response to the Word of God, we will sing Psalm 40, stanza 3 and 4. And unlike this morning, this is not a pointless sermon, so 
We have the Holy Spirit as the theme. The Holy Spirit directs us to a proper response to God's Word, and He calls us to be first hearers of the Word, verses 9 through 21, and doers of the Word, 22 through 25. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you'd be interested in giving a title to this short letter of James, a good one might be A Believer's Guide to Living Well, with the subtitle, Everything You Need to Know to Be a Mature and Complete Christian. For if you spend some time studying the book of James, you will notice this theme shining through in the opening verses of this letter. The author began by speaking about the purpose of trials and why we are to count it all joy when we are met by various trials and difficulties. We don't welcome trials because we enjoy suffering and hardship. No one ever does. But we are taught through trials to rejoice in the Lord, to lean on Him, to be patient, to stop thinking we can orchestrate life, and to see how His hand leads all things. We count it all joy because we know that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is revealed in us. We count it all joy because we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Trials and temptations have their full effect when through them we grow, we mature, and we become more like our Lord Jesus Christ. So trials are not sent our way to discourage us, to get us down, but in order that we should grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and have our affections set on Him. And this is where God, who is the Father of lights, leads us. Sometimes He sends us down unexpected paths, hard paths, paths that alter our lives. But what is He doing in all this? How does He get us where He wants us to be? Well, the answer is not by going back to the way it was before, what was desirable to us. It can't be. Well, how then does the Lord get us where He wants us to be? You know the answer, don't you? He directs us to Himself by the magnetic pull of His Word to the Bible. And He employs the Word of truth to transform and change us so that we should be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, the people to whom James writes, addressed in this, addressed in this letter as scattered abroad, these people are Christians who heard the gospel, the word of truth, and had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as a result of that, they face some heart-wrenching, difficult times. And for them, there was no way of going back to the beautiful and joyous time after Pentecost when they had come together as one in Jerusalem and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread together, and having all things in common. Oh yes, the bond of faith remained. But persecution scattered them so that they had to adjust to new situations away from family and loved ones, which would have been extremely difficult. But how were they able to do so? Well, certainly not in their own strength, but having been transformed by the word of truth. But that is not where the matter ends. These people must take things to the next level. Just as a baby comes into the world by birth, needs to be fed and nourished in order to grow, those who are born again must come to full maturity in Christ. They may not remain spiritually immature. They must be fed. And how are reborn Christians fed? By the word of truth, says James. The word of God is the ancient of our, agent of our rebirth and the focal point of our life and of our obedience to the Lord Jesus. We who are dead in sin and trespasses are raised through the power of Christ. We are not ghosts in the graveyard, but raised from the dead. We shed our grave clothes and we walk in the newness of life. And this is where the verses of our text take us. If you are to grow and mature as Christian men and women, then you need to listen well to the voice of Christ who calls you, not just once, but time after time to put all of this into practice. And it's a challenge in the best of times, isn't it? To follow through on what James says and to have a real hunger for and to feed on the riches of God's Word. It's far easier to be satisfied with polishing the outside surface of our lives with a little Christianity and to use the Bible as some inspirational and motivational handbook. Brothers and sisters, listen to this. God the Father chose to give us rebirth through the word of truth. He gives us rebirth. The implanted word does far more than give you a mental boost or a spiritual picker-upper. The word has the power to transform you and the authority to demand obedience. And this is why the word which has the power to save our souls is to be received with meekness, with humility of heart, so that we may be changed and transformed by it, by the renewal of our minds. James, as a bondservant of God, 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ provides us with clear instruction on how we are to make the most of our time with the Word of God. Those who view the hearing of God's Word as a mere religious duty and at best give it a scant glance a few times a week fail to see what the Word of Truth is meant to be. That the Word of Truth is a letter from the Lord which we are to be excited about because of the relationship He has established with us of which this letter speaks. We wish to know more of what that relationship entails. And if you and I are to grow and mature in that relationship, it will not happen apart from the hearing, receiving, and applying of God's Word to our lives. Yes, by a continual, faithful hearing of the life-giving Word of God, the new nature is stirred into action. Key word in the verses 19 through 21 is the word receive. James says we need to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But what does this entail? In the first place, we cannot sit back and expect change in our lives through the word to somehow come upon us automatically. We receive the implanted word with meekness, with a concentrated and committed effort and use of all our faculties. We receive it with humility, realizing that it is a tremendous gift to have the word of Christ implanted into our hearts. And receiving the word means working with the gospel that we hear. Having an eagerness to grab hold of every opportunity to increase our hearing of God's word. To use every privileged occasion to obtain knowledge of God, of his will, and of the riches of being united to Christ. And secondly, we need to keep in mind the context. For James is not merely offering a proverb to give us some direction on the topic of hearing and speaking. That's often how those first verses have been used. No, instead, he is referring to the posture Christians need to have when the Word of God is read, preached, and received. So the main issue here is how am I responding to the word of the Lord in the midst of all the trials, difficulties, challenges, and temptations that come our way. And those who receive the implanted word with humility are marked by three characteristics. In the first place, they are quick to hear. The mark of a child of God is our eagerness to be under the teaching ministry of Christ. We don't come to the Word with our minds made up as to what we will accept. We come eager to receive the Word, examining the Scriptures daily to be established in the truth 
and in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read about that in Acts chapter 17. Yes, disciples of Jesus long to hear the word of the Lord at every possible and privileged opportunity so that they may know more fully who he is, what he has done, so that they can find answers for life's questions in him, hope in the cross, comfort in trials, forgiveness of sins, assurance, reconciliation and grace. We are encouraged to be quick to hear the implanted word because the word has the power to deliver and save our souls from condemnation and eternal ruin. And by responding to the word, we have communion with the living God. Yes, the Lord speaks to you through his living and abiding word. And that is why boys and girls, when he speaks... We are to sit quietly, listen, and receive it together, together with our parents and others. Being quick to hear shapes the attitude that we will have when the Word of God is opened on the Lord's Day, when it is explained during catechism, listened to during a Bible lesson at home, at school and church, and studied while gathered together with others. Well, you and I need to do some personal soul-searching here, don't we? We have lost something of this, haven't we? Why is it that today we are quicker to turn to blogs and podcasts and social media and Facebook and Instagram and you name it as our go-to rather than receiving the message of the implanted word with meekness and humility? Receiving the word of God with meekness is to have a teachable spirit. Letting the Holy Spirit do his work in our lives. James, as a servant of the Lord, reminds us of the importance of putting aside all excuses and overcoming all barriers to the hearing of God's word. Be quick to hear, he says. Well, here's a question. Could you and I handle being off our phones, our smartphones, our dumb smartphones, for a week or even a day so that we can concentrate on the word of truth, receiving the implanted word with meekness? Oh, we need to encourage each other to get off the things we have gotten hooked to and get ourselves into the word, praying Samuel's eager words, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. A contemporary hymn known to many of you beautifully puts into words a prayer that should be on our lips as we come to worship and as we prepare to listen. It goes like this, Speak, O Lord, as we come to you, to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us 
in your likeness. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. So the first characteristic is to speak, it is to be quick to hear. And second is slow to speak. And that starts with what happens here in the pulpit. When, an ex when explaining a text, every minister needs to make sure that what is being said is biblically sound and accurate. And that you, the listeners, are directed to Jesus Christ. You're not changed by the personal opinions of the minister, but by the word of truth. So there must be a holy reluctance to speak or to say things that you know that people will want to hear you say. No one should assume the responsibility of speaking, preaching, and teaching unless their hearts are prepared and ready to speak the word of truth. The minister is the messenger of Jesus Christ who proclaims the word of truth as he is called to speak. And furthermore, being slow to speak allows your hearts as listeners to be open to the instruction of the Holy Spirit. For through the hearing of God's word, the Holy Spirit will change the patterns of our thoughts. Hearing the preached word is a means of grace whereby the Spirit works faith in your hearts and that is why listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd calls us to be quiet. Listen to the voice of Him who leads you beside still waters and goes before you in the darkness and the shadows of death. And isn't it true that the more we are in the Word, the more we are slow to spout off our own opinions because every time we speak, we show our own ignorance. So it's a good thing to keep in mind as well as we respond to the Word to just take it quietly. Listen. Go to work with it. And the third characteristic of proper hearing is this. We are to be slow to wrath. And initially, that might not seem to have anything to do with how we listen to the Word of God. But it, do, but it does. I'm not allowed to be angry in the pulpit with the Word of God. And you can't be angry in the pew listening to the Word of God. We're to listen to what the Lord, word of the Lord says about our lives without speaking against it or getting angry about it. And the anger spoken of by James may not necessarily be an outward explosion of emotion, but can refer to something that is brewing beneath the surface. 
There's something wrong in our hearts when we get angry when the sword of the word cuts. James says, when you hear the word helping you understand what you experience through trials and temptations, don't block it out from doing its work just because your toes have been stepped on. Don't get resentful and try to deflect attention away from yourself and get angry at the preacher when it is actually the word of truth that is convicting you and making you feel the pinch and confronts you with your sin and need for Christ. Why must I be slow to anger? The answer is pretty straightforward. It does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger distracts you and keeps you from listening correctly and from growing in grace and in the righteousness of God that comes to you in Jesus Christ. An angry spirit is never a teachable spirit. And it can very well be the reason why we don't get something out of the reading and hearing of God's Word. Come to our second point. For in the second half of our text, James makes clear that our responsibility does not stop merely with hearing the Word of God. We listen intently so that we be doers of the Word. Now, we live in a time with way more focus on the visual. Listening has taken on a recreational tone. People do not necessarily come to worship in order to listen with the goal of responding and following through by being hearers and doers of the word. We mark it as a good and uplifting experience if the person up front was pleasant to listen to, dynamic, enthusiastic, passionate, and preferably concise. Yet, brothers and sisters, the entire experience is worthless and will actually testify against us if it does nothing to us. If we are consistently and diligently attending, but it does not change and transform us, we are in great peril. We are deceiving ourselves if we think the act of listening is an end in itself. The Word of God is living and active and reveals His ways in order to direct our steps, answer our questions about life and how we are to live in the light of the gospel. And so the Lord lays it on our hearts to be doers of the word. The danger is very real for all of us, isn't it? That we become so accustomed to the riches we have in Christ that our senses become dull to the call to daily repentance, which is a call to direct our hearts 
and our minds to Christ. Repeatedly, God's word uncovers things in our lives that we need to throw away. Things that hinder our growth and maturity in Christ. And understand well that being doers of the word is not a call to self-improvement or to try a little harder or to act in accord with some moral norm. Being doers of the word is bringing what you do and what you say and how you feel in line with what, in fact, you already are. A child of God, forgiven, restored, and redeemed in Christ. Being a doer of the word is to climb inside the Bible and see the riches that God has for our daily life. The call to be doers of the word is for those who are are frustrated, exhausted, on the brink, on the verge of giving up, and who have heard the call of Jesus to come to him and are now called to put into practice what they have in the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow due to change. James uses an illustration to underline his point. An individual who hears the word of God but is not a doer of the word is not prepared to reflect Christ in his life is like those who look in the mirror, go away and forget what they saw. And you know how that goes, right? Perhaps you had it happen to you while getting ready for church. I wouldn't be surprised if most of you looked in a mirror at least once but had to go back because you forgot what you saw. And if I told you that a lot of you have hair sticking up, you wouldn't be sure if I was being serious or not. You've forgotten how you look, haven't you? And that is why there is this temptation to move your hand toward your head just to make sure it is not so. Do you understand where the analogy is taking us? It's somewhat convicting, isn't it? Like the person looking into the mirror, we come to church to look in it for a while into the Word of God. Perhaps with a passing glance, perhaps some intensity. But how soon don't we forget the very message of God's word because we have allowed a thousand other things to distract us. We hear the word and we move on. And so we go back to our daily work and routines and nothing gets adjusted or changed because We have hardly the time to go back to the mirror of God's perfect word. And we can hardly imagine ourselves lingering over what we have heard concerning the love of the Lord through His Son, Jesus Christ, by just sitting in the pew for a few minutes after the service, 
looking over the matters we have learned, luxuriating in what we have received in Christ and rejoicing together in that, or sitting for a few moments at the dinner table after the reading is done. How often don't we expect the word to do something to us without engaging our minds and making the effort to grow in Christ, to have a better understanding of Christ who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, who intercedes, saves, justifies, and gives us all that we need in life and death. As servants of Jesus, we are to look with great intensity into the mirror of God's perfect law, the law of liberty. Literally, we stoop over to search out the perfect word of the Lord. We see the ugliness of sin, the weaknesses and the blemishes that are in our life. And what we hear convicts us of our own unworthiness and we do something about it. We seek help from the great physician, stooping over to search out the perfect law. We come to see our own sin and the great majesty of our Savior. The Word of God is called here the perfect law because it is complete and authoritative instruction from God. It's the law of freedom that directs us to the way out of slavery, the slavery of sin. A person who looks intently into the mirror for some time can be disturbed by what he or she sees. Just ask a self-conscious teenager. As a parent, you may tell your daughter or son to stop looking in the mirror and they'll be just fine. But with the perfect word of truth, we keep looking. Oh, the perfect law of God shows us all our blemishes and warts, but it also directs us to Christ, who sets us free from the slavery of sin and covers all our iniquity. And the longer we look in the mirror of the perfect word, we see the face of Christ. For that is how God looks at us through Christ, his Son. Looking to Jesus, sin loses its appeal as I allow myself to be charmed and captivated with the unsurpassable beauty of Jesus who loves me, desires an ever-growing and ever-loving relationship with me, even though he knows all the stuff about me that I cringe to think about. Brothers and sisters, this is the blessing of the Christian life. And what you have heard this afternoon from the word of truth was not deep, profound, or new. But when applied... It is so life-changing and transforming. Well, be eager to grow and mature in the Lord Jesus Christ.
by hearing, receiving, and applying His Word. Amen.